Again, Happy New Year, Grace family. You know, a New Year's a great time to just begin to get some things in your life kind of in the order that you really want them to be in, that you might give an account to Christ, so that, that judgment seat of Christ's day when we stand before him and we give an account for what we did with what he gave us. And so we're starting this year off with just a, a four-week series on just managing your life with that day in mind, with that day, living every day with that day in mind, the judgment seat of Christ's day. We want to give an account for how we used our money, how we used our time, how we used our gift, how we used our energy, and all that is going to be rewarded. There's going to be commendation, reward, you know, crowns put on heads, future assignments determined in the kingdom to come, all based on how we lived our lives as Christians. The judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine how we get into heaven. That's because we believe, we repent and believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But heaven is not going to be the same for everyone. You know, it really determines how faithful we were, what kind, of, what kind of jobs we're given, you know, things we're trusted with, but also rewards we're given, so forth. And so we want to help you. We want to help you do well. We want everyone in our church family to do well at the judgment seat of Christ. And so we're taking these four weeks to really talk about these four key areas of your lives. And so this morning we're going to start right off the year with talking about managing your money in such a way that it really honors God. Now, one very long ago, we had Derek Kinney speak here about money and did such a great job. I wanted him to come back and do it again. Now, Derek is part of our church family, but he also, his, uh, his commentaries on financial management and so forth has been on Fox News and CNBC. He's been on the radio. And so his, his opinions and his uh, teaching on this really has gone even beyond nationwide. And so we're grateful to have him as part of our church family. And he's going to come up now. So, Derek, make your way on up, if you would. Give him a hand as he comes, guys. And, hmm, hmm. Thanks. And let's pray for, for Derek before he begins. Father, we just thank you for Derek. And we just pray your anointing upon him. Give him just the liberty of your spirit to speak what you put in his heart for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Gary, thank you so much. Let's give Gary a big round of applause and for the great work that he does. Yes. And I want to give a special shout out to the worship team today. Wasn't worship fantastic today? Let's give them a big round of applause too. Outstanding. And also to some of the unseen but critical people, let's give a big round of applause. Let's turn around and give a thanks to our sound booth people back there as well. They're making me sound good this morning, so we appreciate all of y'all. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here today and to have the pleasure to talk about money. I'm reminded of the father who was giving some advice to a soon-to-be father-in-law who was about to marry his daughter. And he said, son, remember that romance without finance leads to an ambulance. <laughs> we all need money at certain degrees in our life. And, you know, today's topic is called winning at the game of money. And two things I want to talk about, first of all, have you ever gone into a money decision, eyes wide open, you've done the research, you've talked to the people you needed to, and you made the decision, then the whole thing blew up? That ever happened to anybody in the room? Yeah, you know, money can be messy. I think we can all agree on that. The second thing I want to share with you is an old friend of mine gave me some sage advice many years ago, and he said, Derek, remember this, that people like imperfect people better. Anybody in the room as imperfect as I am? Great. Well, let's start this talk with some common ground that money is messy and we're all imperfect. And I think we're going to make some good progress arm in arm together today. 
Now, my talk this morning is not going to be the traditional high-quality sermon you get from Pastor Gary. I'm going to go down a different path, and we're going to talk about not just some biblical principles, but some financial strategies that, as we work with our own clients, have helped them move the ball forward financially. And my goal today is that everyone in here can take at least one item away that they can apply and do better financially, whatever your life stage is. Now, for us to manage our money well requires us to manage our relationship with God well. Let me say that again. For us to manage our money well requires us to manage our relationship with God well. I believe the two go hand in hand. And John 15, 5 gives us a blueprint for what money success looks like when it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The bottom line is this. Our money is rooted in the word. It's rooted in the Bible. I believe God wants us to be good stewards. The challenge is we have to take action to do that. So my challenge again today is to take one thing that we can apply and do better financially. Well, as we finish today, what I want you to take away is this, that there's three steps to winning at the game of money. Live, save, and give. Those are three easy words, but hard to apply. So let's dive right in. Step number one, living and winning at the game of money. I'm reminded of a man who was having some health challenges. And he put off going to the doctor, and this went on month after month. And at his wife's very pleasant insistence, he finally went to the doctor. And the doctor probed him and prodded him and did the x-ray and did all kinds of tests. And uh, as you can imagine, the wife was very, very concerned. And so the doctor excused the wife into the hallway to give the, the diagnosis. And uh, the doctor said, ma'am, I have some very serious news to share with you. Your husband is likely going to die. Well, the wife's face was horribly disappointed. But she said, whatever it takes, doctor, I'll do whatever it takes. And the doctor said, look, if you do the following things, he can live a completely normal life. If you wait on him hand and foot, cook all his favorite meals, make sure that he's catered on uh, all the time, he will live a completely normal life. Well, the wife thanked the doctor for this great advice. And as you can imagine, driving home, the man was chomping at the bit to know what did the doctor say. And with a look of sorrow in her eyes, she said, honey, you're going to die. <laughs> Sometimes budgeting itself can feel like a near-death experience, but it's critical and it's a foundational piece to knowing where we stand financially. So no matter what your age or your income, budgeting is critical to success. And a principle I would share with you is this, don't live on 100% of your income. There is no margin for opportunities or emergencies that may come up. If you live on 100%, you're at the razor's edge. The rubber band is stretched as hard as it can go, and if it snaps, there's no cushion that's there. So what I want to do now, we'll put it up on the screen here. I want to share with you two budget suggestions. Now, I know the word budget that can be a negative word sometimes, but again, it's that foundational piece. So here are two ideas for you. First of all, Budget number one, and let me just preface this by saying this. This comes from a heart of helping you be more generous, and how do we save more money? 
So think about how could you tweak this and how could you modify this to your situation? All right, here we go. Budget number one, I call this the 80-10-10 model. We want to live on 80%, save 10%, and then tithe 10%. You'll notice the theme as I talk, I'm a big proponent of tithing, okay? So we're going to see that theme throughout our talk together today. So what this does is it gives you some cushion. It allows you then to save money now and for the future, but also give money to the church. Now, how do we do this? When my wife and I first got married, we were involved in a money management class at our church, much like FPU, kind of the precursor of that, which was fantastic for us. And they taught us the envelope system. The envelope system is this. You take a stack of envelopes, you write on each envelope what budget item you've got, and you put cash in those envelopes. And the way this works is once the cash leaves the envelope, that expense is done. You no longer spend any money on that. Or you could rob Peter to pay Paul, and you borrow from one envelope to the other. But once the envelopes are empty, that's it. And so it allows you to be very focused on the budget itself. The other piece here is to identify and reduce your expenses. Think about this like a financial x-ray. You go to the doctor, they show here's where you are health-wise today. We want to look and see what expenses we've got and what can we cut back on and make some necessary changes. The last piece here is then is to save and tithe off the top. And I believe it's important to have more money left than there is month. So many people tend to wait to the end of the month and say, you know, whatever's left over, that's what I'll save, that's what I'll give. I am a proponent of do it off the top and see what God does to bless that. All right, so that's budget number one. Now, budget number two, I call this the debt reduction strategy. And this is the 70-10-10-10 model, okay? Now, I know you may be sitting there thinking, Derek, we are strapped living at 100%. How in the world could we live on 70%? And I'm going to share in a moment a thought on that. So let's put a placeholder there. So what this shows here is we live on 70, we save 10, give 10, pay down debt with 10, okay? Now, my friend Dave Ramsey, who most of us are familiar with, he talks about the concept, which I like, called the debt snowball. We're familiar with that? His model is line up all of the debts that you've got, and then by lowest to highest amount, start to pay those debts off. Build up some positive momentum. I like a different approach, but it works similar. I like taking all the debts, lining them up, but then pay off the highest interest rate first and work your way down. The bottom line is this. It doesn't matter. Just pay off the debt. Just find the way that works best for you that both you and as a couple have bought into and can make progress on it. Okay? All right, let's move on. So how does this work? We're focused on building up our cash reserves, and the goal here is to build up about three to six months of committed living expenses in your checking and savings accounts. Now, why is this important? Well, let's say a job issue occurs, a health issue occurs, a family issue occurs. We want to have some margin that we don't have to go back and pull money out of our retirement accounts. Make sense? Okay, so we're taking this one step at a time. And the key here is once that three to six months is built up, then we look at the company retirement plan and looking at more long-term types of planning. All right, so let's recap what's happening here. You're reducing and tracking your expenses. 
you're building up your cash reserves and your tithing. And we're going to talk about tithing in just a few minutes and the importance of doing that, especially getting a fresh start to the new year. It's fantastic. Now, listen, let's be real. I realize that most people's expenses tend to rise to the level of their income. It's human nature. But you've got to fight back. Culture will tell you, spend, spend, spend. When I go to a retail store and I, I go in to buy one item and I go to check out, I've got to circle through this maze of temptation, I call it. It's only a dollar, it's only a dollar. I could walk out spending 10 more dollars I hadn't planned on, but the temptation aisle is, is very present. You want to be very focused on fighting against that, okay? Now, let me call a timeout here. Let's have a candid discussion. We've just talked about whatever your lifestyle is right now. All of you in this room come here at a different point in your financial and spiritual life. So I'm not here to tell you what to do. These are suggestions to prayerfully consider, okay? So the timeout is this. Many of the doctors that we work with in our practice, for example, will tell us when they have a patient who faces a life-threatening issue, get this, less than 50% of those people change their lifestyle. They're told, if you don't change your lifestyle, you will likely die. But less than 50% of them make change. So I realize if your health is on the line and it's hard to make a change, your money may take a back seat to that. So the challenge I would have for you is this is, what is your compelling reason? What is your compelling reason to make this change? And I want you to think about what would you give up? What loss would it cause you if you didn't achieve these goals? Could you not live in the house you live in now? Could you not live in the house you want to live in? Could you not send your kids to the college you want to send them to? Could you not have the retirement you've always wanted? The bottom line is this, and it's very effective yet painful. I need you to find an emotion inside that you connect with that if I don't do this, it will cause me great pain and loss. As I like to say, until the pain is great, the change will not occur. Until the pain is great, the change will not occur. And sometimes you have to make drastic changes to achieve remarkable results. I want to share with you a story. One of our clients came to us, they were referred to us, and within about six months of starting working with us, they both lost their jobs. It was a terrible situation. They had no cash reserves built up. We were helping them begin that process. And what happened was over that six-month period, they built up quite a bit of debt, okay? And what they vowed when they both got rehired at various positions, they said to themselves, we will not let this ever happen again. It brought pain on their family. It cost them a lot of money. It caused them to pull money out of places they never thought they'd have to. They ended up with $68,000 of debt. Let that number sink in. It's a big, big number. They said this will not, they drew a line in the sand, this will not happen again. Within 18 months, with dedication, budget cutting, focus, and effort, and accountability as a couple together, walking arm in arm, they paid every dollar off. You see, until the pain was great, their change could not occur. And the challenge I have for you today is this. Look at your own situation. 
What is one thing you can do in 2019 that if we were having coffee together a year from now, you could say, Derek, I'm so proud of this. Here's what we did. We made one change and here's how it affected us positively financially. Does that make sense? All of us can do one thing. So what are some steps to take? And the key here is that once you decide that you will, it becomes just a question of how. Once you decide you will, it becomes a question of how. What steps to take? And I'm going to step on a nerve here so nobody throw any items from the crowd. Cutting unnecessary items, eating out, cutting the cappuccinos. I know that's for many people, Starbucks is a spiritual gift, and I recognize that. Um, Simple things, shopping your electricity rate, shopping your cable rates. The bottom line here, get creative. If there's in your home group or your, your couple group that you hang out with, if all of you are in a similar situation, agree, look, let's all hold each other accountable here. The bottom line is we want to make sure that we're making progress for the future. Downsizing, automobiles, club memberships, getting a second job if we have to. I mean, when push comes to shove, we have to take action and also hold each other accountable. But I want to encourage you through all of this, the tithing and saving piece is critical. Now, I can speak personally until I'm blue in the face, but I know many of you in this room have had and seen God bless you, that somehow God multiplies it. The math that God works in is not our math. It's a higher level spiritual math, okay? I didn't do well in math in high school, but I'm doing well in math now because God teaches me his math program. It's a great, great program. The bottom line is to take that step of faith. So financially and spiritually, a firm foundation starts right here, John 15, 5. I keep that as my anchor verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when I think about that, I think about dedicated time on my knees, in the Word, seeking God for wisdom. I want you to picture yourself in this situation. You're in the middle of the ocean. You're in a boat. The waves are knocking you back and forth. It's pitch black. There's not a star in the sky to see. There's no navigation. There's no electronics. You are totally, unequivocally on your own. The winds are gusting. The waves are going up. Think about that situation. That's how most of us find ourselves making key financial decisions. Everything is coming against us. We're faced with everything, but what we don't do is we don't have a compass. We don't use the word of God to make wise decisions. I want to encourage you, and we'll talk in a few minutes about some practical ways to do this, taking that moment and say, God, I don't know what to do. I am totally lost. I need you to step in right now and give me wisdom. Does that make sense? He is faithful to meet us right there. And the goal here is, and why I harp so much on saving, we don't want a personal tragedy to become a financial tragedy. All right, so step number one, we talked about living. Step number two to winning the game of money is saving. So as you get established in your career, here are some fundamental principles we want to take a look at. First of all, Limit credit card spending, again, some of the basics. Set up a plan for college savings. Save for retirement. And keep building up cash reserves for opportunities. Now, here's what we know about credit cards. Very interesting. When you use a credit card, believe it or not, 
you're likely to spend up to 20% more than if you use cash. And it's the physical action of having to take money out of our wallet, out of our purse, write a check that causes us, as we walk through the temptation aisles, to spend more money because it's easy. Very, very important to keep an eye on that. Now, when my kids were growing up, we used to love to go to the arcades, different places where they'd play games or you'd play golf and you'd get the tickets. Anybody taking their kids, grandkids, you remember these uh, joyful times where the pizza tasted great, it was cheap, all kinds of fun. Every birthday party. I remember that the look on my kids' faces is they would accumulate all these tickets and they would go, we'd count them up and there'd be 500 tickets, 1,000 tickets. They'd go and they'd see the prize wall. Remember the prize wall? And they would see the big stuffed teddy bear and the remote control car. And my personal favorite, the lava lamp. It was awesome. And they expected to buy those big ticket items and they walked up to the counter proudly with their ticket. ready. And the worker would say, well, with this amount, you need to look on the first row. And she'd point them to, you can get a stick of bubble gum or the army man. There wasn't the big prizes that were there. And when it comes to credit cards, use them as a tool. So many people I talk to say, I'm going to use this for the points. The points represent a small fraction of a dollar amount. So be wise in terms of how you spend, but use it as a tool. All right, let's touch on education. Now, this is fun because if you have kids or grandkids, this is very applicable. As we talk with our clients, there's three main approaches that we see people use. And the bottom line is you get to choose. You choose whatever is best for you and your family. The key is to choose something. So the first option is this. You decide that you will cover the entire cost of college for your kids. No problem. If you save the money or you want to take out the loans, you take care of that. So the money is completely borne by you. The other option is you say, look, we've not saved anything, so it's completely on the back of you, the student. You take out the loans. You cover the entire cost. Either way, whatever works. Or there is a becoming a more popular model, we call it the half and half program, where the student pays half and the parent pays half. And the purpose of that model is there's some ownership, there's some skin in the game. The bottom line is this, you need to pick a philosophy as a family as to what you're going to do. But let me share this with you. Here's the guaranteed fail plan. If you want to fail, here's exactly the verbiage to say and what to do. First of all, don't bring up college at all with your kids until they bring it up with you. And when they're about to pick a college, surprise them and say, oh, by the way, there's no money. It's guaranteed to fail. So here's what I suggest you do. We talked about that money is messy. None of these discussions are nice canned scripts that we all talk about with each other. So be honest with your kids. <clears throat> be honest and say, look, we haven't done a good job of saving. The monkey's going to be on your back. You've got to save money, get scholarships, work. That's fine. But have the dialogue open so that everybody's on the same page. Does that make sense? So the key is that we're open and honest. Okay? All right. Let's move on here. Now, saving for retirement, one of my favorite topics. We've talked about now building up some cash reserves now the goal is, how do we become more savvy investors? As we talk with our clients, these are the easy ones. Get involved in your company 401k. If you work for a normal company, if there is a nonprofit, a church, a school, maybe called a 403b. If you're self-employed, it may be a SEP IRA, an IRA. All these things, they all work very similarly. 
But one thing to talk with your advisor about is a new concept that came out a couple years ago called a Roth 401k. Not to put anybody to sleep here, but let me give you just a quick comparison. Traditional 401k, money comes out of your paycheck, reduces your taxable income, you pay tax down the road when you pull the money back out. Roth 401k, no tax break now, but it's completely tax-free when you pull money back out down the road. So someone who is closer to retirement, the traditional 401k may be the best way to go. For someone beginning to save for retirement, the Roth 401k may be a more appropriate way to go. So talk to your advisor, see what makes the most sense. But the bottom line is companies are doing away with pensions. I think about my grandfather who worked 30, 40 years at a steel company, got the gold watch, got the certificate, got the pension for life. Those days are leaving us. What does that mean? That means there's more pressure on each of you in this room to save more, do more, and be more savvy about how you save for retirement. So the, the, the pressure has shifted to us. Now, when it comes to your portfolio, let me kind of touch on this, comes to your money. Obviously, if you do it yourself, work with an advisor, that's great. But I want you to have an attitude, especially right now, because there's so much turmoil in the stock market of this. You know, if you in the crowd... Uh, like to build things. For example, some of you may like to build furniture. If you build a nice piece of furniture, handcrafted, you design it, you put the wood together, you paint it, it could be in that living room for years and generations to come. As an advisor, as I work with my clients, we may customize a portfolio and craft it, put it together. Well, suddenly interest rates rise. Bam. Suddenly there's political turmoil. Bam. Suddenly there's uncertainty in the market. Bam. And this portfolio starts to crater in. So make yourself feel better and just think of your portfolio like a never-ending renovation project. Because changes will need to be made, especially right now, we're in extremely volatile times. Do I think we're headed for another great recession or depression? No. And most analysts will back up that thinking. But I want to prepare you, double buckle, because it may feel like a lot of volatility right now. And also, I like to employ what I call the target principle, and that is this. If there is a stock or investment that you like, and suddenly it's 30% cheaper, do you choose to buy it or run from it? If you get the circular on Sunday and Target has a, a sale going on, and you say, wow, look, it's now 30% off, most people buy it. So be savvy investors, but make sure that if, if it is a good deal, it may make sense to look at it. All right, as I get the pleasure to interviewed on television, radio, as, as Pastor Gary mentioned. I'm very humbled by that because I like to help make sense of money. It can be, for some people, a very intimidating topic, a topic that they don't want to spend a lot of time on. Let me tell you a quick story. We had a client couple referred to us, and I could tell there was a weight on their shoulders. And as we talked and built rapport and built some dialogue with them, they finally blurted out, it was the wife that said, Derek, look, how much money is enough to not run out in retirement? And I, I smiled and I said, that's the number one question we get asked. People are worried about how much is enough. They've heard all the different stories, live on this percentage of income, this percentage of expenses and so forth. But they said, how do we really know? And I said, here's the one proven way, as we've done this for 23 years, that we've known it works. And that is to do this, live on a practice retirement budget. Live on a practice budget. So while you're both working, live on what do you think you'll need in retirement right now? 
so that you're testing it. A friend of mine calls this a low-cost probe. We want to kick the tires and see if it works. I said, we're going to do this for six months. So six months later, they came back in the office with a big smile on their face, and they said, Derek, we were off a little bit, but we now know we can retire because we've lived on it for the past six months. It was proven. So that would be, if you take away nothing else today, I would say tithe and live on a practice retirement budget. Now, the same couple, not six months later, came back with another big idea. And they said, Derek, we've decided to sell our house and buy an RV. And I said, that's great. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever driven an RV? No. Have you ever camped in an RV? No. Have you ever gone on a trip for more than a week? No. So I tell you what, here's an idea, just a suggestion as your advisor. What if you rented the RV for a month and kicked the tires? and did a low-cost probe, and keep your house, and just see what you think about it. They said, okay, that makes sense. So they came back 30 days later. You know, Derek, <laughs> that RV life, pretty tough. Now, that's no knock on RVs. The bottom line is, as we engage in these big, high-level financial decisions, most people are like that ride of Six Flags, the conquistador that goes up, and it goes all the way back the other side. We tend to be extreme on our decision-making. So let it rest in the middle of the room and ask God, God, give me wisdom. If someone says to me, for example, in retirement, they say, you know, Derek, what I want to do is maybe do full-time missions work in retirement. I say, that's great. I have a question for you. Ever gone on a mission trip? No. But do that first. See where God is leading you and open those doors and let him chart that path. Does that make sense? Okay, so the bottom line is we want, we want to be very cautious and careful with our resources. All right, two, uh, uh, two bits of feedback here. My clients are always telling us some, some funny things, and one wanted me to tell you specifically that before deciding to take early retirement from your job, stay home a week and watch daytime television. <laughs> I pass that on, okay? Another client said recently that, uh, you know, Derek, except for the occasional heart attack, I feel as young as I ever did. So... Things are, things are moving along here. Now, let, let's kind of shift gears a bit. All right, so things in life do occur. Okay, there's challenges that come up. We're going to put some things up on, on the board here. Job loss. A son or daughter moves back home, caring for mom and dad. And sometimes all of those at the same time. We talked, let's go back a few minutes, we talked about money can be messy. This is where it can get really, really messy. And I need you to give yourself an element of grace. Who, just by a show of hands, has had an experience with one of these? Yeah, I mean, look around the room. So this is real, this is raw, and there's no script for it, okay? The bottom line is this. In terms of a loss of job, ideally, you will have built up some cash reserves. I may be thinking optimistically there, but if not, you want to do things that cause you the least amount of financial pain, Meaning, checking account, savings account, what can you tap into where there's no early withdrawal penalty if you're younger than 59 and a half? Where can you take money out? If your spouse is working, could you borrow on their 401k? Can you cut expenses? All of these things take a prayerful, coordinated approach. And oftentimes, if handled well, believe it or not, and our clients tell us this, marriages grow closer through these things if you're praying together and walking together through it. 
but it can be messy. I just want to keep that word in mind that money can be messy. All right, number two, son or daughter moves back home. Now, let me just say this. Keep in mind, in most cases, moving back with you is not their first choice. So give them an element of grace as well. But what I find, and I do want to give a caveat here. You may be saying, Derek, you're 49 years old. Who are you to be telling me about this topic? We have counseled thousands of clients all over the country on these very topics. And so what I'm telling you is what clients are telling us in terms of what works. I want to help you avoid the potholes that so many people find themselves in, in the ditch on the side of the road. How do we keep moving down the road as smoothly as possible? So son or daughter moves home. What we're, t- what we're told right now is that expectations are the best approach, okay? So, I mean, you want to help out family, of course, but having the dialogue up front are, what are you expecting? And here's what we're expecting. What are your expectations for expenses? Do you want to pay rent? Do we want you to pay rent? Let's talk about the end game. How long will you be here? How long do you want to stay here? And if we talk about those issues up front at the very beginning of the relationship, it tends to let things wind through the process much better. Because the opposite of this often occurs, and that is bitterness and resentment toward our family. Here we're trying to help them out because it's so messy, this agitation builds up. All right. The most popular one up here, mom or dad needs care. Now picture this. You're about to retire. You're about to go on that cruise of a lifetime. The prison doors are swinging open. You picture, we're going to go, we're going to see, we're going to do, and the call comes in. Mom fell and needs help. Well, suddenly those plans are scrapped, and now we're back to ground zero, creating a strategy. Here's what we find works the best here. And this can be very, very messy. Having dialogues and talking as a family, what I call a family meeting. Now, ideally, your mom or dad or the person involved here has what's called extended care coverage, meaning there's an insurance policy that they may have bought that would pay for a long-term care stay. If they don't have that, then we want to look at their pension, their social security, uh, the assets they've got that could be used to pay for this. But what often happens is in a family like this, everybody wants to help mom and dad, but it's a question of how and what resources do they have. Some family members tend to have money. Other family members tend to have the time, and a few have both. So it's important to know what lane each family member is going to be in as they go down this progress of helping mom or dad. So whether that's I'm going to help out during the day, I'm going to help fund this, have a family meeting and talk through these issues to make sure we're all on the same page, okay? Does it make sense? All right. The, the other piece of this, and it's very, very important, if not handled well, the very time that you're wanting to help mom and dad, they can often feel the opposite. They feel like they're getting shoved into a nursing home. Their car keys are getting ripped out of their hands. Their house is getting taken away from them. So the goal is, this can be a very thankless situation, but it's very important that as a family to go in united and have a strategy together. Don't expect mom and dad always to say, this sounds great, but if you're united as a family, it tends to help things go better, okay? The bottom line here is open and honest communication is critical, critical, critical. All right, let's move on. Now we've talked about the... uh, a little bit ahead of myself here. Great. All right. 
share this with you. Many years ago, we've kind of lost and lost touch, but there was a couple that my wife and I would cross paths with, and every time we would talk to them, see if you can relate to this, this couple was always in a crisis, always a crisis, and they would always say the same thing. You know, Derek and Carol, once we're through this situation, it's going to get better. It'll get better. The problem was it never did. Anybody know people like this? It's like they're always in a circle going around and around and around. And my suggestion is this, life does happen. The best laid plans can go awry. You may put money in the market and a day later the market's down 700 points, not that that would ever happen, and you're down quite a bit of money. This is real life right now. These are real life issues that we're dealing with. But we serve a real life God who walks alongside us and wants to give us wisdom. That's the key that we have to remember, that he knows this is happening before it even happens. Very, very critical. So my suggestion to you today is this. You can either have the attitude of anticipating setbacks and issues that may come up, or you can choose to let every setback knock you off the track. You get to choose. All right, let's shift gears one more time. We've talked about life happens. In retirement there can reach a point where you realize, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm behind the eight ball. And as we've worked with clients, we've found there is a time period, this nice window of time, we call it the sweet spot, that you can catch back up. I like to call it retirement redemption. So think about this. Your son or daughter is just about to finish college or they finish school. Your house is just about to be paid off or it's paid off. And suddenly now, there's this new concept in your life called positive cash flow. Money's coming back in your way. If handled correctly, and you have a strategy in place and a plan, now we can backfill, we can make up for lost time and put that back into retirement, shovel that money back in. And here are a couple ways that that works. One of the common strategies that works well for people right now is what's called a phased-in retirement. Phased-in. What this looks like is this. You may work a little bit longer, but you then find a part-time job that you commit to working for many years, doing what you enjoy, then giving yourself half of that time to do what you want. But you're still working and you're engaged and you get to use the talents and gifts that God has given you. Okay? The other option is this. You may say, okay, I'm going to do this, but I may wait to 70 or beyond to retire. We know 70 is what the new 20, they say. You may not feel like that when you get up in the morning, but that's what they say. So people are working longer. You could say, look, I'm going to work longer and I'm going to stockpile this cash that's now being built up. Then I'm going to wait to retire and then have that entire retirement game plan. So the bottom line is this, hope is not lost. The key is, as we start on the first Sunday in 2019, take that financial x-ray. Where do I stand right now? And then decide, what am I going to move the needle on to make positive progress this year. All right, so as we wind down here, let me, let me touch on this. We've talked about portfolio, we've talked about your money, and I talked about this about five months ago, but one of the most important pieces of a portfolio is your people portfolio. Your people portfolio. Now, we can buy stocks and bonds and mutual funds, all the different investments, but one of the best investments are people. Now, who would you place in your people portfolio? Let's think about your circle that are around you, your immediate friendships. How many of you 
go back and look on the year thinking, I've got these good friends, but we never see each other. I would encourage you to take a focused and a concentrated, deliberate effort to say, we're going to have lunch once a week. I'm going to call the person once a week. I'm going to text them. I'm going to make sure that I'm investing proactively in their lives. Let me give you an example. There is a business club that I have the pleasure of leading in my kid's school. We've had this for about six years, and I love to pour myself into these kids and help them reach their full potential from a business standpoint. And God really convicted me that once they graduated, I lost touch with them. Suddenly it was over. And God said, Derek, reconnect that relationship. So now what I try to do, once, twice a month, I send them a text, an encouraging word, cheering them on, wishing them the best in college. And it's ended up developing into some mentoring relationships where we've gone from one that graduated high school, now they're out of college, kind of walking alongside them together. So I want you to ask yourself, who could you put in your people portfolio? Who around you has a dream that you know God has placed in their heart, but they need somebody to fund it? I'll give you an example. There was a woman that we know who had a real musical talent and wanted to record a CD, but didn't have the money to do it. And a few of us got together anonymously and funded that project for her. And I'll never forget, this is etched in my mind, the inside cover of that CD that said, to whoever gave me this money anonymously, may God continue to bless you because it has changed my life forever. You see, it's a ripple effect. You drop the stone in the water, there's no motion there. It just continues to ripple. It's a ripple effect. So think today, who, whether it's a student, whether it's an adult, whoever that is, who could you invest in? Because I look around the room and I see talent and I see knowledge and I see wisdom all over this room. So all of us have the potential to make an impact on somebody's life. Let's not rob them of that rich opportunity. All right. In closing, a couple ways that are practical to serve. First of all, tithing. And when we talk about tithing, I know many people struggle with this concept. You know, tithing is where faith and obedience intersect. It's that requirement that we, we, we need to do it. But we also need to shift our perspective. You know, I'm reminded back in 1 Chronicles 29:14 when David says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That's why the third step to winning at the game of money is to give. We've talked about live, save, and give. As Americans, we often have the mindset that this is mine. It's the American story. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I own it. I built it. I deserve it. And it's my money. But what God is telling us in Chronicles is everything that we have is what God has already given to us. We're simply giving back a portion and really a small portion, 10% of what he's given us already. When we see things through those eyes, it makes it more palatable to begin tithing again. All of us are called, very few of us pick up the phone, is the reality. So I want to encourage you, especially with the new year, if you're already tithing, great. If you're not, think about beginning today. But if you're already doing it, think about increasing by 1% to 2% a year. Good news. I checked the research on this. I Googled tithing. There's no limits. There's no limits in 2019 on tithing, okay? We can go above 10%. So I bring good news of, of great joy to all the people in the room. All right. 
So tithing, setting up a family giving fund. Now, this is really cool. If you want to have fun with your family and create some really fun memories, think about this. Picture yourself at the table. This could be your kids, your grandkids. We're not having to make up for lost time. Whoever is there, let them be there, okay? Be present in that moment. Think about who could you give money to. Set aside a dollar amount each month. This may be an envelope of cash that appears in someone's mailbox, or it may be a football that you put on someone's porch and you ring the doorbell and you run like nobody's business. Now, not that this would have ever happened, but somebody might fall in the snow and have to crawl themselves out and get back to the car, but you're creating memories and stories that are going to last a whole lifetime, okay? And you're making a big impact. Now, we talked about this before. Practice your game face. God has a good sense of humor. Oftentimes, the person you do this to anonymously, they come back and they tell you about it. And you've got to act like you have no idea what's going on. You've got to say, really? God is good. That's a good response right there, okay? Then the last piece is the people portfolio. Now, in closing, Bruce Wilkinson, who many of you may know, wrote the book, The Prayer of Jabez, uh, A Life God Rewards, two fantastic books. But he talks about living past what he calls the cutting edge. And the cutting edge is the point that he describes as the the point that it's past your ability to figure it out. We need God past our cutting edge. It's a level of faith and seeking him that takes us out of our comfort zone. It's where all growth occurs spiritually, financially, and personally. As we begin the new year, the question for you is this, what is your cutting edge? Will it be reducing your spending to allow you to save and give? Will you commit to tithing 10%? Will you build up a cash reserve? Will you and your spouse talk about how you'll fund your children's college funds and expenses? Will you and your spouse talk about how you'll take care of retirement to make sure you're on the same page? Will you commit to making a real difference in the lives of others in your people portfolio? Well, in closing, I want to leave you on the lighter side of things. There was a man who had worked all his life, had saved all his money, and was a real Scrooge when it came to his money. Just before he died, he said to his wife, when I die, I want you to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. And so he got his wife to promise with all of her heart that when he died, she would put all the money in the casket with him. Well, he passed away and he was in the casket. His wife was sitting there dressed in black and her friend was sitting next to her. When they finished the ceremony, just before they closed the casket, the wife said, wait a minute. She had a box with her And she came over and placed the box in the casket. And her friend said, now, don't tell me that you really put all the money in the casket. And the wife said, look, I made a promise to him. I can't go back. And she again said, you mean to tell me you were crazy enough to put all the money in the casket with him? She said, yes. I put it all in my account and I wrote him a check. If he can cash it, he can spend it. Today, I've laid out a blueprint for money success. Live, save, give. Is it perfect? No. Is it messy? Yes. But I will tell you that God loves messes. That's why he loves me so much. All of us are messes and we're all imperfect. But if we take that step of faith and we move the ball forward and say, God, I want to take one of these principles and I'm going to drive this home, but I need you to help me. I believe you'll find that he will meet you right there. He's done it time and time again. 
whatever is in your financial past, learn from it, but don't live there. I want to challenge you to take one thing we've talked about today. As John 15, 5 tells us, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is a call to be fruity. Let's be fruity this year. Let's be people that can tell they have gifts that God is using. They're bearing the fruit that God has given us. Well, before I close in prayer, I'd like to invite our guests to meet with Pastor Gary over here in the Welcome Center. And also, if you have questions for any of our church leaders, we've got a connection coffee in the back, uh, which is less expensive than Starbucks, a great way to start saving money right back here. This is fantastic. And also, our elder couples, if you begin to come up and uh, if you have prayer needs, uh, we're here for you as well. So let me go and close us in prayer. And I want to thank you again for being here on the first Sunday in January and just challenge you to see God, not sp only spiritually, but financially, and see what he does when he brings those two together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. I thank you for Pastor Gary, for this church, just for the commitment, God, to uh, help each of us do better financially and to seek you with our whole heart. God, I pray a special blessing on each of the people in this room. God, there's so many gifts. There's so many talents that are present right here. I just pray, God, that you would unleash those in each of us this year. Let this be the year that we realize that we are operating at a full capacity with what you've given us to work with. God, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you, and we know that everything we have is from your hand. God, thank you so much. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give Derek a big hand. Thank you. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.